Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is 5.2% more expensive this month. I'm Scott Phillips and with me is the man of straw, the tin man, the lion, the wizard of Oz, the just the, man, the man behind the curtain. The man behind the curtain. <laughs> Mr. Andrew Page Esquire. How are you, mate? Very good. Very good. Uh, that, that was intended as self-deprecating, by the way, because- uh, Or self-revealing. The, 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 yeah, that's right. <laughs> take away all the fire and fury. There's just a diminutive man behind a, a curtain who, who's got no idea what's happening. Correct, correct. But does a good, puts on a good show. Uh, <laughs> mate, I, I, how's your week been? Yeah, really good, actually. Yeah, yeah it's nice. You better? I mean, yeah, I am. I'm 100% better. Um, uh, school holidays is here, so it's nice. you know, it's it's kind of nice to have the kids around. <laughs> it's harder <laughs> to get it's harder to get work done, but it is nice. And it is lovely. It's just a bit more relaxed in the morning. You know, you're not up yeah. first thing making sandwiches and you know yelling at children to put shoes on and that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit it's a little bit more relaxed and and the weather's turning we're on the cusp of uh oh, daylight man. savings so yes. you know yeah yeah God, God, I love daylight saving. I, I know farmers hate it some people I, I I live for daylight saving. It just makes me it makes me happy. It really yeah. really does. Oh yeah. Yeah, me too. Um yeah, I you know, I was going to say something about farmers. I won't because I'll get in Thank trouble. You. <laughs> uh, shall, shall we move on then? Uh, all, all that I'm obviously then required contractually to do is ask you what straw man is. So of course. Of oh, let's, let's do that. Uh, it's a private online investment club. I am shocked as always. Mate, um, this week, now you've, you've, uh, you've, you've lit the fuse here because uh, the big news of the week, as I mentioned at the very top, was the CPI number of 5.2%. And listeners, before this, Andrew says, I saw your tweet. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to write that on the podcast because we're going to have a big disagreement on that one. So just so you know, this could be a one-hour podcast about the CPI number from the sound of it, depending on how long a run Andrew's off on the CPI rant. Uh, I, I will... Uh, I, so, and, and knowing that, it's even more stupid of me to then therefore say, uh, so here's my view on CPI, knowing that Andrew's going to disagree with it and go in some other different random direction. However... However, because I can't help myself, I will say that this was my tweet during the week. Quote, with the glaring exceptions of fuel and insurance, brackets, the former always volatile and the latter likely lagging as it catches up to higher repair and replacement costs, close brackets, today's monthly CPI was an excellent result. Rent, gas and electricity still way too high, of course, but food going up by 4.4 is excellent, at least in a relative sense. Future prices will still be bumpy, but the direction is very, very good. The watch out is whether fuel plus 13.9% feeds into other prices in coming months. I will add the brackets because this is maybe where Andrew's going to try and get me. So I'll get in first. I then said brackets. And because this is Twitter and someone will be narky, let me be clear that inflation of 5.2% isn't good in any absolute sense, nor are any of the subcategories that are over 3%. But given where we've been and where we could otherwise be, these are very welcome numbers, close bracket. And then I will step back, make room, put on the crash hat and say, Andrew, what do you think? <laughs> I did. I was sort of scrolling, doom scrolling uh, is the proper. And I was, I was out to doom. I mean, I, I, I want, I, there's a, some part of me that likes to get angry. <laughs> some part of you. So, Alice, yeah. was, Alice has been here way too long to know. It's not just some part of you. Oh, man. It's like I used to read Miranda Devine articles for the exact <laughs> same purpose, right? And so uh, you, you, you. 
you're, you're looking for these hot takes on inflation. And mm-hmm. I guess what gets me too often <laughs> is that the, the it's so bizarre because we have this thing called the CPI, the Consumer mm-hmm. Price Index, yes. which tracks the changes in average prices using a basket of goods. Yes. It's the only index I know where we talk about it in terms, we don't look at what the index chart is doing. We look at the delta of the index. In other words, we, we look at mm. the change. So imagine mm. if the all ordinaries chart, we, you, you and I often talk about the, um, the Vanguard chart, you know, bottom left, top right, mm. because that's, that's what the market does over time. CPI, no, no, no. We say, well, what, what, what's the change month on month or year on year? Mm. And then we, we, we plot that chart. Yep. And that chart shows you in an ideal world, and again, this is something, you know, I have exception with, but, you know, in an ideal <laughs> world, according to the, the Keynesians, which just sort of, you know, goes sideways between two and three percent. So it looks mm-hmm. like it's flat. Yep. The delta is flat. Mm. And so and so the, the the take has been it's like, oh, inflation is off the peak. Inflation is coming down. Now I know technically that's the correct wordage because correct. inflation is a, a rate of change. Correct. But if you look at the CPI index, it is bottom left to top right very smooth line there's not much volatility mm. there it's like in fact go back to 1960 it's just just you know up and, and accelerating up so you even if you just want to go back over three years you have you've lost 15 percent of your purchasing power your savings yep. have been eroded by 15 percent in three years yep. and so the, the tweet that i had which was um how inflation is reported versus how inflation is experienced <laughs> so the so the the person in the street the you know that the proverbial man in the street doesn't really care too much that prices only went up by five point two percent over the last year. Yep. I think what they experience is is like, well, a few years ago I could spend a hundred dollars at Woolies and Coles and get this much groceries. Now I mm-hmm. spend a hundred dollars and I I get actually a, in fact because the CPI is a basket of goods. If you look at just the food component of it, it's like, mm. actually, I get a hell of a lot less than, than I right. used to get. Or I have to pay $115 for the same basket I used to buy, just to yeah. put it in a different way for people to kind of conceptualize. Yep, and here's absolutely. the other thing. It never goes down. It never goes down, right? right. Like it, it might blip down mm-hmm. very briefly and, and then it continues to go up again. So here's the, my, my, my hot take was that, <laughs> you know, can we, can we actually talk about it in the way that it is experienced and, and real? And the fact mm. that we just, we've got a melting ice cube here where it's just like, I just lose savings. I lose purchasing power year after year after year. And if, if everything goes to plan, mm. I only lose two to 3%. But mm. lately it's been much higher than that. We're now celebrating a 5.2% annual erosion in, yeah. in my in my purchasing power, um, which is which is just crazy. But here's the other thing: this is as good as it gets. We mm-hmm. will look back in the years to come and go, "Oh my gosh, remember how much I used to get for a hundred dollars?" And like, yeah. it'll, it'll be even less. Like the, it's it's never ever ever getting better. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though I don't know what my my take. My only point is, and my only shake at at the fist is, I think too <laughs> often. People in the industry, the economists, you know, the kook, God bless him. It's it's too much divorced from the reality of the situation where we can start celebrating and and, and cheering what is essentially double what what even the target is. Hmm. 
feels to me a little bit crazy. And then the other thing, and I'll shut up, is is that- <laughs> No, you won't. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> Paul, Paul Krugman, right, won a yep. Nobel Prize in economics. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think there should be a Nobel Prize for economics, but that's a whole other separate thing. But he, he is out there, I mean, because the US is just like, I mean, they've got some serious problems with, with inflation as well. He's literally there with a straight face and on CNN saying, well, if you strip out housing and insurance and food and this, that's actually all under control. And there's plenty of people here that have been doing that as well. And it's just sort of like, this is, this is mad. Can I, and uh, there's some really great takes on, on Twitter, you know, which is like, well, can someone strip out my fuel costs? Like, <laughs> can someone strip out my insurance costs? Because it's a hell of a lot, of, hell of a lot more expensive than it used to be. Hmm. So anyway, I just, I think it's, I think it's all a little bit mad and, and I just, I, I just frustrates me on how it is reported. And it feels like sometimes we just need to step back and just say it as it is. Yeah, fair. I, um, so I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you've said. I think in my, in my attempt to, to find common ground, I think both can be true at the same time. Um, now I will say just for those for those there'll be we have enough listeners there's at least one pedant who's listening right now who will say if I don't say first by the way and you know this the Nobel Prize is actually the Nobel Memorial Prize in economic science is not an official Nobel Prize so you'll be I know you know that but uh, not an official Nobel Prize in the same way that others should are. never have been associated like that, that they've, they've tell taken- me why not actually I, I don't see the big deal about it honestly what, what why are you so a genuine question I don't know why you're uh, exercised by it what's the what's the unhappiness I don't feel as though it, it adheres to the spirit of the prize and the reasons why it was set up it was to celebrate okay. real legitimate discoveries objective truths in okay. our understanding of the universe aren't there noble laureates though in like english and literature and stuff uh that shouldn't be there either i okay, don't think right. yeah so it's, your it's, point it's, is it like, should be a science it's like you know what it is it's a bit like the guinness book of world records right yeah. so they they used to make money back in the day by selling the book yeah no, no one buys the book anymore yeah, that's right because <laughs> what well you mean maybe yeah. it's in a few school libraries but they yeah. don't make any money off that yeah they yeah. make money because yeah. you say oh i i need a i need a um a novelty thing to, to attract yeah. people to my small country town. So we're yeah, going to have yeah, the biggest yeah. line dancing competition or the biggest spaghetti eating competition or whatever it is. Yeah. And they'll send someone out and they'll make a big deal of it and they'll put you in the book, but you pay them. That's how the revenue from that. And the revenue from the Guinness yeah. Book of World Records yeah. is from people saying, hey, I've got some kooky little record that I want to break and they'll, they'll well, can I pay you? And can you send someone out and give me a certificate for that? And the reason why that's, I think it's true is that the Nobel Association has realized, oh, we, this is actually a bit of a thing, a bit of notoriety. Right. We can expand this out. And it's, just, it's not that there shouldn't be celebrations in economics and in literature and the rest mm, of it. Mm, but if mm. you go back to uh, the founding <laughs> of, anyway, look, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being. It's, no, it's, I, was, it's, I was just curious what, you, what your thought was. Yeah. Um, I, I will have you know, by the way, don't, don't bag kooky little country towns. I was, for some small amount of time, a world record holder. Okay. I will have you know. I will have you know, Mr. Page. <laughs> I won't have you talking down to the good burgers of Birdsville, in whom, in whose uh, uh, locale I set a record as part of the largest group of people to do the Nutbush oh, at no. the Birdsville Big Red oh, no. Bash. I have a certificate somewhere. Now, it's been eclipsed <laughs> by the bastards at Monday Monday Bash who did a bigger one. But for a while, for at least a year, I think, I think it was a couple of years because of COVID, actually, right. I was a world record holder. I have, I have the certificate in, at home. It's not up on the wall because it's not that important. <laughs> but I, I was, hey, five minutes of nut pushing. That's not easy, I'll tell is that, you. Is that all it was to break the record? 
Well, well there was, it was the largest group of people. Oh, the largest group of people. Okay. It wasn't me personally. I was, yes, we were in, we were in a group of people. So okay. there was like 9,000 or something all doing Nutbush at the same time. It was lots and lots and lots of fun. <laughs> but yes, I won't, uh, I won't have you speak. Great, great, case, great case in point though, right? Because like now it's a thing. And oh, now, totally. now every year someone will try and break it. So, and, well, so funnily enough. Book, we'll, we'll clip clip the ticket on that you know it's so funnily enough the, the organisers chose not to pay Guinness for exactly that reason because oh did they oh. it's, done, it's done as a and this is the good thing about it it's done as a fundraiser for the RFDS oh great uh, for the Royal Flying Doctor okay. Service and uh, yep. and so they just they just said we're not going to pay the Guinness for that because that's just stupid and yep. no, I don't think anyone really cares it's one of those things you know yeah. well, you gets, get gets a good publicity and, and you don't get in the book exactly right? well there's some other there's some other bloke who does this Australian book of records or something and they, they got him to do it and there was a formally certificate but not a, not a Guinness one yeah exactly okay interesting anyway let's move on um so I, I think on prices, I actually 100% agree with you. I, I think I think both are true at the same time. I think there is, there is the and and whether whether we're Keynesian or or, uh, or, or monetarists or, or whatever is aside, uh, I think it, I think both things are true. You know, and that's you know that was always why the RBA was so keen for all of the grief they got from everybody else uh, for for acting on inflation. We say, well, it's important inflation; it doesn't really matter. The RBA knew, and we've talked a lot about it, mm. that once inflation took off, it was never going to go back down. So that that was that was exactly precisely why central banks around the world went, "Hey, we know what this looks like." To your to your exact point, when this goes up, you buy fifteen dollars less worth of stuff now uh, than you would have got three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was. Mm. Um, that's exactly why they had to say, "We need to stamp this thing out" because it's going to permanently and seriously erode people's living standards. It really, it could push us back by the time it's finished. The best part of a couple of decades, quite honestly, yeah, if you think about the gains made. Huge. And so that's that's why it was such a big deal. So I think that's absolutely true, mate. I think though, and, and, it's, and it's probably just a it's probably just a pedantic difference, I think, and not, not on your behalf, but just in general. Because um, both things are true, right? Inflation coming down is part of getting to the end of the hyperinflation or the high inflation few years. And that is a worth, I think, celebrating, which is the point of my tweet, but also worth trying to achieve. And so to some degree, you know, that reduction is a, it's a, it's a you know, it's, it's, a, it's a midterm report. You know, how, how are we going? Are we getting there? Are things getting better? Have the things that have been put in place started to have an impact? Are we going to get there? That kind of stuff, I think, is the is why the focus is on the rate and you say the delta the change uh, in the rate is that that's why it's talked about so importantly i don't know that it, i don't know that it would be particularly useful as an economic commentary in in the context of managing inflation say hey uh inflation you know the, the 100 dollar basket's now 118 dollars rather than 115 dollars that's good or bad i mean it, it just it there's there's no there's no useful policy outcome or economic um uh, basis for having that conversation in and of itself. You know, it is it is the delta that matters because that's I, exactly what they're trying to manage. And I think if that's if that's the job, I, I guess you could argue that they should be trying to get prices back down to 2015 levels or something. I guess that could be a, a policy view. But if you have a view that that's probably unlikely and maybe not even good for things, and so we want to get back to a more moderate level of inflation, if that's the thing you're measuring, which is make sure the price increases are moderate, it is the delta you should be looking at, right? Like, like talking about you know pay increases or, or anything else, uh, you want to be able to go a bit ahead or not go too far ahead when it comes to something else. Measuring the change, I think, is the most appropriate thing to do. But while saying you're also true that for people to genuine, genuinely understand what inflation is and what it does, that long-term idea is something you really need to get your head around. But that's why, partly why we invest, right? Stay ahead of that inflationary pressure. Oh, that's, I mean, that's the depressing. You have to invest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, the average person has to be 
uh, an investment specialist these days. <laughs> good, yeah. good. You yeah, have to. True. You have to. You can't. With the exception, the average person doesn't have as much enough money to make that big a difference, honestly, which is also probably the sad part of the story. Well, this, this, got, this is the, you know, yeah, yeah. Inflation hurts yeah. the poor. Inflation yes. hurts the poor. You know, poo rolls downhill. It is, it, it is, it is always the, copped at, at, at the bottom end. It's a bit like, it's. I think there's, it sounds a bit conspiratorial, but I think <laughs> you, it's like, I heard it mentioned as uh, it's like stealing petrol. I'm going to go. <laughs> if I'm going to go siphon petrol out of your tank, I'm going to take <laughs> yeah. a little bit, right? I'm not yeah, going right. to drain the whole thing because then you'll wise up to it, right? So okay, that right. the art of inflation mm. is to make it enough that you don't notice it, right? Mm. And I think mm. whenever, if ever inflation numbers came out, they put up the 10 year, 20 year, 30 year chart. Politically, it'd be like, what the hell? Like, mm. wait a sec. Like, you, 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 you know, um, so it, it helps to talk about things that in, I think in, in the change. And that's, that's a little bit tongue in cheek, but, but not entirely. Um, the other thing that I, yeah. And the only other thing I, I think that we all miss here again, and I know it's a little bit of a hobby horse for me, but this idea mm. that we, the Central Council of Elders will get prices down. Mm. Not understanding, like fundamentally misunderstanding economics and how how the econo the economy works. So if you, Scott Phillips, are making or producing some kind of service that doesn't have uh, a huge moat, as Buffett would mm. say. In other words, you're not mm. competitively advantaged. It's not a monopoly. It's not some special bit of IP that you have. You're making bread. Bread's the classic <laughs> example, right? Yep, yep. And prices go up. Well, that's a really important signal. I mean, I hate to keep hitting this point. That's like, oh, maybe I will make some bread too. And that mm -hmm. will increase the supply and that will bring the prices down. I don't 100%. need someone to make me pay more on my mortgage <laughs> for the price of bread to go down. But the economy yep. being the economy and capitalism being capitalism will make, not instantly, because mm. you need the signal and then you need the supply response. So it works for all of the kind of things that really matter. Like if it's a pile of bricks on a patch of dirt, i.e. a house, if it's, if it's milk, if it's bread, if it's, you know, any kind of, if it's fuel, if it's any kind of, and why, by the way, isn't that interesting? Why is fuel a little bit different? Because there's a cartel that runs right. it, right? So right. It, it's, it's when you get these distortions that we, that, that things get really sucky. And, and I would argue as a free market sort of advocate, mm -hmm. not in everything and in all things, obviously, <laughs> but, but for, for commodity style things, I think let the market do its damn thing and prices will come back down because the person who is able to high, charge a higher price because there is not enough supply or there is too much demand mm. will find a competitive response from that. And that someone else will go, huh? He's making great margins. Maybe I'll do it. And then, and 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 the beautiful invisible hand hand of Adam Smith will do its thing. I don't as need long as I as don't long as need no, my interest rates to go up. As long as there are no artificial constraints to that happening, or artificial, as long as markets are working perfectly, then your version of life is is spot on. Yeah, yeah. Which it there should, are which it should for things like. Milk and bread, right? Sure. Yes. Um, probably. Oh, well, so here's the thing though, right? I think I, I, 
I'm always, you're a little more ideological and I'm a little more pragmatic and neither of those are good or bad. They're just, they just, that kind of explains our differences, I think, to some degree. Sure. Um, you've only got to look at the, at the grocers, Woolies and Coles, for example, and look at the difference between the farm gate prices and the supermarket prices on some of these things. Yeah. I, I would argue, for example, I don't, actually, I used to work for a bread maker, funnily enough, so I'll, I'll come back to that because I'll have to think about it. Um, but the, the milk thing, you know, it's, it's, it's not working perfectly at all. You know, we are paying, frankly, better prices than we than the market would normally dictate, <laughs> and and farmers are being put out of business because that Woolies and Coles are basically wielding the massive you know yeah. acts of if you want to play this game you will play by my rules. Now that is not the market operating the way it should in my in my view, and left to its own devices, you end up with one you know conglomerate milk company because no one else can afford to play, and then how does how does competition then you know once I, I think. I think competition theory worked until probably, I don't know, 1950 or so. The industrialization of the economy, which has had spectacularly great benefits, so I don't want to take it away, but that has really changed the playing field because there are certain attributes that you can get that come with size that capitalism, sorry, that competition in and of itself just simply can't overcome. There are obstacles that are too large to compete against at scale to overcome some of those problems. And this is where... I'm, I'm also, I don't some, just remember myself as a free markets guy because that implies a, an absolutism about it. Not that you're wrong, just that people use that to mean, you know, everything yeah, therefore must be free. There should never any, yeah, right. I agree. So I, I don't always say fair markets or well-regulated markets, but I'm, I'm absolutely a markets guy. I think markets are the best way to allocate capital. We've talked about that recently, actually, quite a Hell few yeah. times. Yep. Um, it just makes more sense to let people do what they want to do. The role of, I'll say society, I mean, we say government because that's the, that's the tool we choose to use to do it. But the role of society is to say, hey, is this actually working properly in our benefit or is there a better way to structure things to make sure they work? And so what we generally tend to do is say, yes, markets are still the right thing. Where there are excesses or distortions, to use your word, or something else, we make changes. We say, okay, well, let's not... Let, let's not let that happen. <laughs> you know, let's make sure there are more than one player in this field or two players in this field. Let's let's do these things. So I think you, you're you're broadly right, mate. I, I think that's that's absolutely true. In the bread business, for example, and this is fascinating too, the supermarkets demand effectively used to. I, I'm, I've been at it now for quite a while. Used to demand national coverage, and because bread is a perishable item and goes stale really fast, you had to have a bread um, bakery within cooey of almost every supermarket in the country which actually means that most of them run sub, at sub-capacity. So if you want to have a national brand, and Woolies, want, Woolies will take you if you have a national brand, or, and Carl's, you needed back then at least to be able to supply them entirely everywhere other than you know, far north Queensland and, and far, you know, far east WA and that kind of stuff with product nationally, you know, a day after, less than a day after it was baked. So you're in this really weird situation where there were sub-economic bakeries around the country that just had been put there because that was the price of admission, even though, to your point, you know, it, it didn't, didn't attract more competition. And in fact, if I remember rightly, I don't think this is proprietary, and again, it's years old. I have, a, I, If I'm right, the cost of transport exceeded the cost of the, of the product. Because hmm, yeah. it's bread, right? We know how cheap yeah. that is. But because you've got to truck it from a, you know, you're not, you're not buying it from the baker next door or the, the bread, hot bread shop we used to in the old days. You, you know, that's the kind of reality. So I think, I think you're absolutely right, um, except where there are, Distortions, and I'm—I think they're getting worse rather than better. And I'm not a pessimist, and I'm not—I'm um, not a conspiracist, and I'm not someone who doesn't think there's better times ahead. But I do think that the industrialization processes and scale, which is such a beautiful thing in the companies we're looking for, we, yeah. we love it at an individual level. We love it, but I, I can actually wear both hats and say, you know, I would love. It's like it's like um, like mining, right? I own shares in Fortescue. Everyone knows that. I'm also 
deeply in favour of getting more resource rents from miners, which would hurt me. But I can I can wear both hats, and I think a decent person can say, self interest would say, screw it, don't don't you know don't don't make Portuguese pay anymore for their iron. In fact, give it to them free because that'd be better for me. Um, on the other hand, I can say as someone who actually cares about the society and the country we live in, you know what? It would hurt my Fortescue shares, but I think Fortescue should pay more for the iron it extracts. Yeah. And I think that's the same with competition. I'm I'm a, a massive fan of competition. I, I want businesses that can that can extract economies of scale that can benefit from being bigger than their competitors or better in some way. But when that ceases to become useful as a way for a market to act or operate, that's when I think governments actually need to say, "Hey," or society. As I, we say governments like this, like they're them. Governments aren't them. Governments are us. They just mm-hmm. they represent us, right? So as a society, we say, "Yeah, that's having some pretty negative outcomes. We should change some of that stuff." Yeah. Yeah, it's no, there's no easy fix. I mean, the part of the advantage that the big guys have is the. I think you need to look at things from a value chain perspective. Yes, we just yeah. look at Woolies and go, "That's where I go, and that's where I get my bread and my yes, milk and my yes, meats yes. and everything." Yes, like no, there is a all the way from the farm, even mm-hmm. before the farmer, because the farmer mm-hmm. has to buy the raw materials and John Deere tractors and all of this kind of. There's a, there's a massive incredibly synchronized, coordinated economic <laughs> yep. machinery at, at, at play in all of that. Mm-hmm. And if you ever study, pardon me, if you ever study any industry, mm. when you look at those value chains, there's usually one or two cha- links in those chains where all the value is accrued. Yes. Like, yes. Everyone makes the thinnest and thinnest and just enough to make sure that they are still there. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. otherwise, if they go out of business, the chain breaks, right? So you, yep. you need yep. to keep them viable. But, but there is one that, that captures it all. And in, mm. in this particular one that we're talking about, it's Woolies and Coles. Now, I like, mm. know people like to say, oh, yeah, but look, they only make 6%. It's like, yeah, well, globally, supermarkets make 3%. So they, they, double, yeah. the, they double the profitability, and that's because of their uh, oligopoly kind of status. Yeah. I would say where things get a little bit perverse is that the, with that scale comes certain uh, advantages that, mm. that you're getting at. But the other advantage is that you actually – form very powerful lobby lobby groups yep. where you then start getting the government the society that should be looking after the people's interests mm-hmm. giving them preferential treatment giving them special bailout conditions bending paying condition awards you know just what any kind of where there's legislation that can touch them they have a seat at the table you know, and there are plenty I, of people who don't have a seat at the table. We're going to go to a referendum on this exact issue, in fact. Which, but let's, <laughs> exactly. let's not go there. But they do. They yeah, have a yeah. seat at the table. Now, you want yeah. to run your small little business, Scott Phillips newsletter service. You, you don't get to sit <laughs> yep. down with, with uh, Albo and, and, right, and right. nut it out. You know, they do. And, and they have incre- and, th- and this is you know so one thing I would fix just to you know while we're while we're solving the problems of the world is like no, no corporate donations zero boom done yeah I Gone. Oh, absolutely God so we, easiest and, and thing by in the way, world right people normally say yeah what about the unions fine no 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 sure. donation for anybody just yeah. just give individuals yep absolutely yep, yep. Uh, I, I, I might not go further actually I'd go public I would I would ban donations altogether yeah I, I would I'm not, I would literally not go straight public to public funding yeah I just think you know and and, and I would do I mind if the individuals not really except if you're well, frankly, Malcolm Turnbull gave a million and a half dollars to the Liberal Party, if I remember rightly. And again, I have no beef with Malcolm at all. It seems, it seems like a nice enough bloke. But, you know, individual donations. If a union gives them 50 grand and Malcolm gives one and a half million, you know, there's still at an individual yeah. level, I think there's the, the potential for distortion. Imagine that's take, a take very the billionaires, good right? Yeah. Um, what, what do you think of Gina and Twiggy and Mike Cannon Brooks? And probably, they probably cancel each other out, quite frankly. But equally, we don't want a, uh, a kleptocracy or a, you, no. you know, a, a kind of a, a, what's the word when it's, um, is it plutocracy? It might be, um, where, where just 
just the you know the rich and famous get to decide elections. Hundred percent. Or maybe you cap it or something. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that. That's a really easy one. The other mm, thing mm. too, I feel as though that there, uh, and this is where that having that political sway helps because generally mm. the response to the the fairness of things being tilted by scale advantages has been yeah. collective action, right? So the union movement was a, a response to that. Like capital yes, had yes. too much power over labor and the response was, well, let's coordinate our actions. And because mm-hmm. here's the thing, right? I'm not trying to come across as some, you know, socialist lefty or anything like that. Just, just that they are both, mm-hmm. both need each other, right? Totally. Like, yep. It's a mutually exactly beneficial relationship and you need, yep. there's always going to be, it's like any employer employee relationship. The employer wants to pay as little as possible. The employee mm-hmm. wants to get as paid as much as possible. Correct. And I think, you know, that there, there is, there is natural tension. There should be a tension. There's a dynamic and the pendulum will swing back and forth, but you, but you need to sort of have that. So we figured that out. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, when you can sort of politically suppress <laughs> some of that stuff, now where, how does this relate to Coles and Wallies? Well, if I was, <laughs> if I was a, um, uh, uh, dairy farmer, yeah, it would make a hell of a lot of sense to have a a, a collective response because you know what? Yes. At the end of the day, we got the milk, mm-hmm. Woolies. You want milk? You know that's right. That's right. Where are you? And 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 you just don't want the what's the terms? The scab that will go well, go around and and sort mm-hmm. of break mm-hmm. break, break the, uh, the 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 solidarity there. So mm-hmm. and I and and that has been the response from the dairy industry where they have got these groups that have got together and coordinated because at the individual farm gate level, I don't, I don't have that advantage. So again, I'm not trying to solve the problems of the world, but I just say, I think a lot of the time that while in theory, mm. the government as should be the solution to it, it's not mm. because it gets perverted unfairly Correct. and that Correct. is that is the issue and i would imagine if you go back almost to a guild kind of system you know back <laughs> back to antiquity which is not a terrible idea frankly where it's just like you allow all of these economic actors to coordinate and negotiate and have a good healthy tension these things would probably work out in a, in a lot better of of uh, in, a, in, a, in a much better way i guess mm. and, and my point is but let's go back full circle here my point is <laughs> someone <clears throat> of 12 individuals who are incredibly privileged, by the way, um, to dictate the, the availability and price of money is not the best tool. And that's what, that's what I'm getting at. I, I think uh, you and I just fundamentally disagree on that one. We won't, we won't drag it out any further. No, I, I think, no, uh, again, the, yeah. the idealistic versus the pragmatic for me, I'm, I'm happy to use the, those tools to aid the, the corrective processes and I think net net it's benefit rather than a cost you think the other which is which is cool Motley Fool Money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener here's the ultimate challenge Woolies and Coles make about three percentage points of margin more than their international competitors in other words on a whole basket of on a, on a 100 bucks worth of groceries there's three bucks in all these profit margins in excess of somewhere else that is not the smoking gun here here is the here is the really perverse part of this the farmers get screwed over at the farm gate for milk right by actually you and me and everyone else listening because Woolies and Coles screw the farmers so they can sell us cheaper milk to beat their competitor by a little bit and so the percentage margin that Woolies and Coles make is actually not the issue in my mind. 
part of it, if they, you know, let, let's say they reduce their margin by three bucks. Okay, fine. We, we'd, frankly, they'd give it to us probably with $3 cheaper or maybe the farmers are getting an extra two cents a, a litre for milk because that's all it'd be. You know, it, it, it's, it's fundamentally the fact that, you know, Willies and Coles said, I want to, Willies I want to beat Coles, Coles I want to beat Woolies. So what do they do? They screw their, the farmers down so we can get a slightly cheaper price. But we say, thank you very much, Willie. We really appreciate that. And that's actually the the irony of all that all everything we just talked about is that there is there is no there is no you know speaking of your Wizard of Oz there's no man behind the curtain raking <laughs> in the cash right it's actually going to us we are buying milk more cheaply than it should be able to be sold to us very happily speaking of inflation um, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the um, benefits of inflation have come from two things one is ironically that industrialization of production. And, and, and distribution because the scale has pushed down prices below where they would be. If you got the milk from the, from the farmer up the road and you bred from the hot bread shop next door, we'd be able to buy fewer things. It would all be more expensive because it's more labor intensive. There's no economies of scale coming to play. We are, we are the ones and we're benefiting from it. So let's, let's not throw that benefit away quickly. But when, when the farmer gets paid less, Woolies aren't, Woolies aren't, or Coles aren't grabbing the, I don't own shares neither, by the way, so there's no dog in this fight. They're not grabbing the benefit here. Same, again, same with bread as I just talked about, right? There, there is a bread reality. I worked for a bread maker and the bread maker largely was very, 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 very thinly profitable for exactly that reason. You know, we're getting cheap bread. We always want to sell $1 loaves and, and $1 liters of milk. Uh, we are absolutely uh, benefiting from that. And, and that's, you know, is it, a, is it a good thing? I don't know. I guess we can argue about it. We probably have already. We're probably going to move on. But uh, that that's the that's the simple reality of this one is the, the other thing by the way in terms of living standard inc- improvements has been the uh, wage arbitrage and that's a whole different conversation but you know when you get your shoes and shirts made in Bangladesh or India or Thailand rather than here they get cheaper you can buy two dollar five dollar shirts in Kmart because you buy them overseas if you got them here it'd be a forty dollar pair of uh, you know forty dollar pair of shorts rather than a ten dollar pair of shorts you pay five bucks for your bread rather than three bucks for your bread you pay two dollars fifty for your milk rather than a dollar mm. that's that's what would happen and we buy less stuff. Um, but that's a society we've chosen directly or indirectly to be part of. And that's, that, that's the real conversation I think worth having around, you know, where, where's the money going? There's no, there's no mysterious middleman making a squillion dollars in the middle. Oh, so many avenues to go down. <laughs> I, I, w- I guess I would quickly just argue that those go prices should have come down far more significantly than they have. But who's making the money? There's no, there's no sense that it, on a marginal basis, the cost of running the supermarkets for everything, we'll, we'll sell, they sell 100 bucks worth of groceries, they make $6 in profit, that's it. If it was three, okay, we'd be $3 better off, but it's not, that's, not, that's not the difference, right? So it's not Woolies. The farmers are going out of business and struggling. They're not making the money. So where's the money being made? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, think, it's, I think it's largely standard of living. I think we're, we're paying less. We're taking advantage of the buying power of some of the middlemen who want to be our preferred option. And are, you, you made the point about prices coming down because competition works. That's exactly what's happening. That's how Woolies and Coles got big. They they forced out Jewel and Fleming and Franklin's and uh, name your name your your, uh, your your favorite local grocer. Some independents still survive. Drake's in South Australia and Richie's in Victoria, as far as I know. Um, a couple of super IGAs around some of the regional areas, but you know the the, the big guys have have gobbled up market share. Woolies and Coles between them was about forty percent market share. I want to say in the early eighties, maybe um, now about eighty five percent, depending on category. They've just done the, pack, the corporate Pac-Man thing. They're making more dollars in total, but largely because they got bigger rather than because their margins have expanded significantly. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying Go to on. find it, but I can't. But if, if, okay. you, if you want to take the component of the CBI that is just food yep. and you want to 
track it over any period. I mean, it's still, mm-hmm. it's still all gone up, right? Yes, I, Des- I my, despite no, the productivity my, gains of of yes. scale and industrialization. So you and my of, argument is it's it's better than it would have been otherwise. Oh yeah, without well, those benefits. Yes, and it would have been even better, better if there wasn't a, a big dilution in the currency that we're using to transact with it all. Which is you got to go down deeper, deeper, deeper to the to the base layer of, of why. Because why wouldn't it? If I if I in the old days had to like mill the mill the grain, mix it with water, yep. bake it in my stone oven, transport it to market, and buy, I mean yeah, be, now I can do it in a massive factory. I can make a squillion loaves of bread for three cents. Yep. You know, it's like yep. that brilliant, brilliant. Like that's fantastic. But now we've done that, right? So it's like, well, mm-hmm. correct. Every incremental gain is, is is much much harder. Yes, and yet so it's still getting more. So once you get that mm-hmm. hit, right? Oh, now we can do it this way. And there's yep. there's big yep. there's refinements, but but we've kind of the low hanging fruit has been taken. So unless you, yes. uh, it's like it's like the internal combustion engine, right? So the very first one was really inefficient, and then we started getting much mm-hmm. much better. Mm-hmm. Now year on yeah. year. The efficiency of the ICE is not that great. It's like this sprinter who's like really trying to wear the special suit that will take off 0.001%. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we can get we can get better, yeah. but it's not getting yeah. it's not getting much better. And so on yeah. we, we get these big wins from technology. That's what drives productivity mm-hmm. and that's what drives mm-hmm. prices down. But in in the face of it, though, the, the just the, the sheer dollars in circulation increases. We we get it, as I said last week. We get it when we're talking about shares. We don't get it when yeah. we're talking about units of currency. And I think that's 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 the deeper thing at at, at play here. So where's where's all that going? Where is all that extra mm. money going? That's that's who's benefiting from it. That's that's the cantillionaire who's who's uh, who's who is unfairly extracting value from others. I would argue. Yeah, and I don't want to keep going too far in the path other than to say I think the real the, – the, the place we meet in the middle is looking at the real, uh, i.e. adjusted for inflation, values of the things that we exchange. So, you know, re- wages have also increased at the same time. And so it's, it's, that, it's that comparison between, you know, the pr- prices are – we've said before, m- money is this artificial thing. Prices are just a relative measure of how many units of labor I need to expend – to buy the thing and we express them in dollars because it's easier to do that than tot up how many hours of work I gave you for this and how much you can swap for that. Um, that's why money was invented. Yeah. The, the, to my mind, it, the, the real change in any index after inflation is accounted for is really the thing we're talking about here. Yeah, Otherwise, it's, yeah, it's all money. Just, you know, yeah. I think that's is so much truth in the idea of time is money. Right? Yeah. That, yeah, it's all mo- money is time. Like it really yeah, that's right. is. That's, that's right. I try to explain it to my kids when they say, "Can we get this?" It's like, <laughs> well, you do know that that is, you know, if you want that, yeah. that mummy yeah. and daddy are going out and doing like three hours of, of work for you to have that. So it's yeah. it's, it's, it's a non this abstract number, and I think that is an exactly exactly the way to think about it. Uh, but as you say, this is this is this is old ground. Let's 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 talk about something else. <laughs> Let's talk about Qantas. Talk about controversial. Well, I'm just talking about the same thing each week. But yeah, let's do well, it. Anyway. No, so I wanted, well, I wanted to do it in the context of PwC this week in particular. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you've been following the, the PricewaterhouseCoopers, as it used to be called, um, Palava. Yeah, uh, but I wanted to talk about reputation, actually. And this is kind of where I'm... We've talked about Qantas before a little bit. And I've, I've made the point that there are very, very, very different options available. So I'm going to quickly just make a, make a case or make a couple of statements and you can then tell me where I'm right and wrong. Um, I want to start with the, 
So if you're Qantas, on one hand, the public hates you or just dislikes you more than they used to. Uh, you've got baggage handling scandals. You've got customer service complaints. You're on hold for 85 years if you want to change your flight with Qantas. Um, they are canceling flights all over the place. People are really unhappy, uh, which is the PG way of saying really, really unhappy. Um, and yet they delivered $2.5 billion in profit last year. And there is, depending on where you sit on this particular journey, there is uh, a range of potential outcomes, decisions, points of view you can take. One is that we've talked about competition in a duopoly where both are being uh, self-interested, prices remain high, capacity remains constrained. Why would you overinvest if you were Qantas in customer service? Why would you bother caring about your corporate reputation if you simply didn't need to, because who cares? There's, you know, you're filling every plane, you're charging a squillion dollars a ticket. Uh, so people hate you. What else are you going to do? Fly Virgin? There's no, no seats over there. and They're charging a fortune too. So sure, make your choice. But if you don't want to fly, that's okay. If you do, it's us or them. And, and we're kind of both the same. And that's a pretty dystopian way of looking at it. But I'm not entirely convinced you couldn't make an argument. For, I'm not making this argument directly. I'll, I'll say why in a second. I'm not convinced you couldn't make an argument to say, we are in the business of not providing frills we don't need to provide. It, you know, what, what's the value of being the most loved airline if, if they're both full anyway? How much money should you spend in brand building if the brand doesn't account for anything? Aviation regulators make sure they're all safe, so it doesn't really matter. You get from point A to point B in the same time in probably the same seats, um, different logos on the headrest. But who really cares? You're running this duopoly where you're both heap, significantly self-interested. Why, you know, and you made $2.5 billion worth of profit despite all that stuff last year. That's the point, right? Despite how much everyone is annoyed with you since COVID, you're still making an absolute squillion dollars. So that's that's one part of it. And and I guess the other part, and this is where the PwC things come in, comes in, is if and when you do jump that shark. If you have assumed you can be as economically rational as you want to be in that journey, and then all of a sudden you have to then fall back on something other than industry dynamics, you are going to be in an absolute world of hurt. If another airline was to turn up, if people were able to have another choice, if regulators made different decisions, all of a sudden, those things you took for granted go away. And this mm. is, I'll go to PwC and I'll come back to investing more broadly, Matt, because this is the point I wanted to make. PwC have done a spectacularly, I'll say obvious job of stage managing what's happening right now. There's an, as we record this on Thursday, the 20th of September, there's an open letter in the AFR from the PwC boss. They've announced this report. They've, they've pre-announced they're changing their governance. This has been stage managed, PR managed to within an inch of its life. Every day there's a new thing about how we're going to learn, what we're going to change. So when the damning report comes out, it'll be, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? Well, luckily we've already announced these changes we're making. So see, we've already learned. And it's just horribly transparent, whether, whether it's transparent to people who are only slightly interested or tangentially paying attention might be different. Uh, but they're trying really, really hard to stage manage a reputational recovery. And I wanted to I wanted to put both of those on the on the page because um, one business I really love in the US is Costco. And Costco for years has been criticized by Wall Street for not making as much money as they could. You guys could raise prices, you could have lower uh, wages in your stores, you could have worse customer service, you could you could engineer this business so much more finely, you could do things to really, really, really juicy bottom line. You make a whole lot more money. Why wouldn't you do that? You guys are mad. And Costco's answer has basically always been some version of, we are building a long-term sustainable business where we're not risking any part of our business or the business itself 
to maximize short-term profits. And I think if you look at some of the reporting on PwC today, it's been, oh, there was one uh, kind of quote, growth at all costs, end quote. In other words, who cares how you get it, just get it. Or Qantas who says, well, who cares if people don't like us on the phone, where else are they going to go? The answer might be one day, actually, we're going to go over here. Whatever, whatever that thing is. And then we'll look back and say, man, for an extra couple of bob a year, Qantas could have really done a nice job of being a wonderful, loved, preferred airline so that they had this you know, lazy balance sheets and other things. This is, this is almost lazy branding. It's lazy corporate strategy. Someone says, well, we could, we could screw some more money out of this thing. Shareholders would love us. And in the short term, they would. But in the long term, and this is I'm coming back to the businesses that I prefer, the businesses that I think are worth owning, are ones that, as Warren Buffett says, are deepening, widening the moat, widening those competitive advantages, keeping the competitors at bay, and every day making sure that's what they do. And that's the difference in my mind between what Buffett would call intrinsic value and then any sort of value of the assets you add up mm. or the profit you make this year. It's that idea of, is the business bigger, stronger, tougher, more profitable in five, seven, 10 years from, from now, not just last year or this year? I think I just wanted to make that point, mate. I don't know if you have any different thoughts, but I just, as I look at Qantas trying desperately to try and find this way between the two, and they, they unveiled an $80 million uh, thing about it was a customer service, whatever they spend the money on, and it's just chicken food, right? It's designed to look like they're doing something. Uh, and again, they're taking a very rational view right now, which is we're making a squillion dollars. Why would we try? I'm just going to suggest to you that it's a very, very, very brave or maybe, uh, in the words of Yes Minister, courageous business that says, screw the future. I'm going to hope the circumstances will remain attractive because I'm going to, I'm going to basically burn down the, some, of the, some of the things that made us great, hoping I don't need them at some point if, if maybe uh, things do turn for the worse. Oh, yeah, lots to unpack there. Um, I mean, it comes back to the point here of, of oh, we actually didn't use the term when we were speaking about Woolies and Coles, but it, the, the term that we should have perhaps said was regulatory capture. So mm-hmm. I could invest in just providing a really good service. <laughs> yes. Or I could invest in making sure <laughs> that I get nice. privileged competitive uh, yeah. uh, uh, positioning. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm going to go for that. Thank you very much. Because yeah. then, you yeah. know, when a, when Qatar or someone shows up, you go, no, nah, you can't come here. Like, <laughs> you can't buy that. I mean, that, well, you can buy. So when, that's my point. You can buy that. <laughs> I was going to say, you, really, right. you shouldn't be able to buy that. But it turns out, <laughs> actually, it turns out you can. You can buy that. Uh, yeah. no, t- totally cool and normal. Don't worry about that. Look over there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, like that is that is really depressing. Um, uh Here's the other thing, right? So let's do a little bit of let's do a bit of balance sheet analysis. This is mm. this will be fun on in audio format, right? <laughs> so the balance sheet, as I'm sure many of our listeners will know, just just adds up everything that a company owns at a point in time and takes away everything that it owes. So it's assets mm-hmm. and it's liabilities, and the difference is is equity. And equity is just a fancy way of saying net assets. Think about it mm-hmm. in the same way of equity in your house. It's it's, it's exactly the same thing. What's interesting? So yeah, they made a squillion dollars last year. But what do you? I, 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 I had to look it up while you were talking, and I, I was surprised. <laughs> I wonder if you are too. What do you reckon the the net asset value of Qantas is? Oh, very good question. I wouldn't even have a guess. Uh, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Uh, okay. The total assets. Yeah. If you add up all the planes and buildings yep, and yep. everything else, the goodwill, it's twenty point <laughs> three billion dollars in assets. 
Wow, there you go. So, what do you reckon the what do you reckon the net assets is? So that's the total assets less the debt and everything. Yeah, like you know, accounts payable and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff. All yeah. the liabilities. Uh, so if we start with twenty point four. I'm going to say three point six. Like is in three point six million dollars in in equity. B- billion, I was going to say in, in net assets. Ten million. Other year. Ten million. Million. No. The total equity of Qantas as of the twenty twenty three financial report i'm looking at it right now and i'm 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 looking at yeah, it again the zeros, and surely. again and i'm probably okay. gonna have to send you a screenshot here just so <laughs> just so you can sanity check me now how is how is that so one of the other things you do so mm-hmm. so you can define i just defined equity as assets minus liabilities yeah there's a there's an equivalent way of defining equity which mm-hmm. is the total amount of money that you have put into the business or shareholders owners of the business have put in Plus or minus any retained earnings over uh, since since day dot. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a very different definition. Well, it is a different definition, but it's actually mathematically it's absolutely the same. Okay, so yep. since Qantas uh, w- was issued, they have raised two point one <laughs> billion dollars. Now they've borrowed mm-hmm. money, they've kept a bit of profit over the years, they've paid some out in dividends, rah rah rah. Um, but actually, one of the line items there is accumulated losses. So in other words, of all of the losses they've ever made. So this is the thing that people, and this is, why, this is why you don't ever, ever, ever invest in airlines is because Qantas, which is arguably one of the best run airlines in the world, purely just from a financial standpoint, yes, not from a yes, customer yes, service yes. standpoint or any, let's not get into that. But mm-hmm. they, have, they have $2.2 billion in accumulated losses as well. So in other words- yeah. You know, so there's a, there's a, some treasury shares in there, some reserves, and let's not get into that. They're, they're really rounding errors with the numbers that we're speaking of here. If I had, in theory, $10 million, mm-hmm. and I was able to get the same kind of access to capital <laughs> yeah. and regulatory advantage and licensing and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could stand up an equivalent business. It's $10 million. You, In other words, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into Qantas. I'm going to sell... <laughs> All of my planes, well, I actually don't own any planes. I'm going, to, I'm going to sell all the leases that I own. I'm going to sell everything that I have um, in terms of an asset on the open market. And then I'm going to, anything, and then I'm going to pay off all my debts and, every, and all the liabilities. And I am left with $10 million. And, and to me, <laughs> that really just sort of says how crappy it is as, as a business. And, and, and the way that they have sought to stay viable and stay in the mm, air mm. is is to your point here is not by offering and again this is where i feel as though people rightly get angry at capitalism but they're really angry at the crony nature of capitalism correct it's like correct. if there was exactly true capitalism these mm-hmm. guys i mean i just wouldn't fly them frankly yep. i'd go with one of the three or four or five or hopefully mm-hmm. 10 other airlines yeah, that were right. out there that exactly. have to they because they can't get privileged positioning they can't capture mm-hmm. the regulator they can't mm-hmm. be the ones dictating in, in a covid pandemic crisis saying to the government you need to give us billions of dollars you're on your own buddy yeah. or if i'm going to give yeah. you money it's i'm going to get my pound of flesh out of it so so uh yeah Correct, i don't yeah. know what's what's the point here it's it's a travesty and 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 for goiter out there go oh, no, i've got the support of air i've done a fantastic job no you haven't you've done a terrible job <laughs> I, I would argue well again cynically you've probably done a brilliant job yeah in any well, other any yeah. other lens, you've done a, you've done an awful job, and 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 th- these these people are fine no matter what happens. The worst mm-hmm. case scenario is your reputation is tarnished amongst people that you will never mix with, 
and who will forget your name six to 12 months down the track. And I am on my yacht in the Bahamas <laughs> with my squillions of dollars and who cares? You know what? I'd be pretty happy to, to trash my reputation if you want to give me $20 million a year. Like I, I, I it's not, you know, and I was like, oh no, I'm going to get a two bad articles. You know, Joe Aston's going to like have at me in the AFR and, and then everyone's going to forget about me in a few years time. It's, it's kind of, you know, I don't know. What's my point? It's just depressing is what it is. It is. Uh, by the way, so speaking of some balance sheet data, I'm just, this is just straight out of ComSec because I haven't looked up the report. Qantas's net tangible asset per share is minus 40 cents. <laughs> so in other words, to your point, if you, if you rounded up all the things they owned and all the things they owe and sold them off, you'd still owe 40 cents a share when that was all, when that was all said and done. Yeah. Now, this, and this is, this is so look, there, there's, so there's the, there's the social thing and we normally bang on about that sort of stuff because we want to have a function, functioning, healthy economy and society and, and those things go hand in hand. You kind of one without the other, uh, in my view. The economy, the economy is society, frankly. I'd, right. go, I'd be even more hardcore so. about it. Yeah. So I, yes. And vice versa. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to get diverted by that, but yes, yes. I, I think that's, that's true. I mean, there, there's more to us to a society than the economy, but there's, no, there's nothing more to the economy than society. Yeah, um, that's, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Yep. I, I, but I guess, so, so, you know, on one level, here's why, I reckon Goiter and Joyce have done a better job, frankly, than most people give them credit for because most of their competitors went broke while they were running the airline. So there is, there is still some element yeah, but, of- But they didn't get, they, only because they, they had that privileged position though, right? Sure. Sure, because they, they, they pick up the phone so. to the prime minister of yes. the day and say, "Help yes. us out." Sure, but that, but that's as as a as a as a steward of shareholder capital to use that horrible phrase. Um, they've done what they needed to do to to preserve the airline, right? I guess I guess that's my point. Is you know, in terms of things they could or couldn't have done or may not have done in different circumstances. Oh yeah, hats off that they were able things. to do that. Like you know, it's like well, that's my point, right? Yeah, yeah. But and that's so. So I want to say, on one hand, that's true, and I think. That's that's not nothing, at least in terms of looking after the interests of shareholders. Because saying I could call the government, I'm not going to, and the airline's going to go broke. Really sorry, guys. That that's a that's a bit of a poison chalice as well. Mm. The flip side of that, though, is that as investors, you want to be really careful. And Andrew, you made the point really clearly about you know don't invest in airlines. I, I will second that. That yeah, not a, not advice. Totally advice. <laughs> um, I I wouldn't any because. They are just fundamentally broken businesses, and that's why, as an investor, it just pays to be it pays to be careful. And this is this is where here's here's the investing lesson, mate, from me from me at least. When these things happen, when you see the uh, the share price of Qantas go up, or you see a two and a half billion dollar result, it is tempting to kind of go, well, the share price is going up and it's making some money, and maybe I should invest in this thing. And it's kind of like the, you know, the old line that at the end of the day, no matter how many numbers you add to get, you multiply together. As soon as you insert a zero in that progression, the whole thing is worth zero. So five times 10 times 100 times 1,000 times two times four times six times zero is still zero. No matter how many numbers come before or frankly after it, as soon as you multiply that number by zero, you get to zero. And it's just, it's just a reminder, I think, that in the short and medium term, when businesses like Qantas look like they're doing well, um, by the way, check the share count because they've issued a truckload of shares over time. Mm. Um, check, check you know who's doing what to who and where the money's coming from and all that kind of stuff. Um, the good times will look great because if you can stay alive in the bad times, the good times do look great until the bad times come again. And as an investor, it is just, you never, ever, 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 ever want to go back to zero. And that is the absolute risk with all of these types of things is you end up at some point going back to zero if you get this wrong. And so 
whether it's avoiding the FOMO, whether it's, you know, you don't have to be necessarily a boring investor. Andrew's got some really exciting small caps that he follows. Um, so I'm not saying be boring. What I am saying is just be really, really, really careful and really thoughtful about the sorts of businesses you own and the way you justify them to yourself or other people try and justify them to you, i.e., look at Qantas' profit. That's amazing. It must be a wonderful business. Therefore, you should own shares. Just, again, just be really, really careful. Buy, ignore the too good to be trues. Ignore the fundamentally damaged slash risky balance sheets. Um, I just mentioned the fact that a whole lot of airlines have gone broke. Uh, if the if if government's approach to Qantas changed and they couldn't get that preferential access, they couldn't get the money when they wanted. I mean, Qantas would have gone broke during COVID, right? The fact they got through and after it. Now, I'm not. It, it, it's a reality. I'm not saying you know um, I, I was I was wrong because the government bailed out. I'm just saying at some future point. You know, if we're just talking about Woolies, I'd rather own Woolies than Qantas. Why? Because Woolies has millions and millions and millions of customers in thousands of locations with a very, very understandable business model, a very simple buy at price X, sell at X plus 6%. You know, those are really, really, really simple ways to think about businesses. Or you can say, as Andrew said, I'm going to go and buy a business, uh, you know, an $8, $10 million market cap business with $10 million worth of equity with negative net tangible assets mm. because it's Qantas and they made some money last year. And this is a, there's a really, really big difference between those two. Mate, if you want to go back to when Qantas listed and you bought shares mm. and you held them through to today, you've basically, I think you've actually underperformed inflation. Like now, I didn't factor in dividends, but usually they don't yeah. pay a dividend because they can't. But mm-hmm. it, it has been the world's. It, it feels. It feels like you look at it at a long term chart and you go, oh, "I bought it at what did I buy it at? Yeah. Sort of, you know, yeah. two seventeen. It's now five dollars something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, but it's twenty seven years, right? That's pretty. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> it is awful. And this, but yeah. again, I just make the point. This is supposedly the best airline in the world. So this is what the best looks like. And it probably is, the, to be fair. But that's exactly that's, that's right. The blue ribbon, right? <laughs> now, right. some yeah. smarty will go, yeah. "Oh yeah, but I could have bought it at dollar, and I could have done it." That's what. That's true of anything. You could have done yeah. that with Ethereum, for yes. God's sake, right? Like, or some stupid monkey NFT. There are <laughs> there are all kinds of dumb things that are traded. Yep. That if yep. you if you know, I mean, if I had two wheels, I'd be a bike, right? Like that's the old saying. It, it just <laughs> the, the fact that you could have speculated and timed something and gotten mm-hmm. lucky on that doesn't Correct. mean that what you're Correct. owning, the thing that you hold, has value. Mm-hmm. In fact. In that instance, it only has value because you can trade it. If this was a private company that you weren't allowed to sell, and the only money that you could make was by actually yep. the generation of cash that this entity held, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be desperate to get it off your hands. Like it'd just mm-hmm. be the most awful. All my money is tied up in this kind, in this absolute sort of rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was just going to look up just just as a as a as a point of difference, but I wasn't fast enough. Statement of comprehensive. <laughs> While you're doing that, I'll just say the share price for Qantas is the same, effectively the same as it was uh, back in 1999. Oh my goodness! First of July 1999, the closing price was five dollars ten. As we speak, it's five dollars twenty one. Now again, as Andrew said, there's some dividends there, so uh, even still, uh, twenty four years. Um, it's just, it's just these are these are just they're just terrible businesses. And don't buy the short term, you know, gains. If you're a trader and you want to try and trade this in, good luck to you. I, I, I frankly don't think you'll have much luck. But if you want to, knock yourself out. If you're an investor, which is what I hope all of our listeners are, and you're looking for great long term success stories, compare that against a dozen other think, businesses you can think of. Um, well, this is probably one of them. Frankly, I don't want to keep going back to that one. I don't own either, so no dog in the fight. But you know, it's. 
there's better better ways to try and make a buck than try and speculate on the short-term share price movements of an airline. You know, just just don't do it. Uh, so he's just to make the point here is yep. um, uh, the equity, the net asset value of Woolies is five point four mm. billion dollars. Right. And uh, of that, they've actually got a pile of reserve. I have to look into the notes. They've got seven and a half billion dollars in reserve. So money they've mm. just put in a separate bucket for another use. Right. It's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I'd have to. I don't have time to do this live on air, um, but the, but the, but what I can tell you yep. is they yep. over since they formed, um, mm-hmm. they've got eight and a half billion dollars in retained earnings. The yep. Qantas has what they say two and a half billion dollars of losses, <laughs> ac- re- accumulated losses over yep. the years. Yep. So that yep. really should tell you something. It's something I don't think investors look at quite enough. The, the past is no guarantee of the future, yep. but when you see a business over a very very long stretch of time that. <laughs> That has only right. lost money, you know. It's yeah. like it, it is there by the good grace of of government and handouts and, and shareholders and, and capital shareholders markets, directly. you yes, know. Yes, but yes. it's like we laugh at a lot of startups like Milk Run and a lot of these things that sort of mm-hmm. started in the mm-hmm. free money era from a few <laughs> years ago. You're like, yeah. ain't that different. It really ain't yeah. that different. In in any real true open market, they they would have mm. they would have folded a long time ago. And before anyone goes, yes, but but then we as a country would be poor. No, we wouldn't. No, we'd st- mm-hmm. we'd still have planes. It'd just be something else. It's like, oh, yeah, but it's the national exactly. carrier. Well, what? No, it's not. Like it, it, the government doesn't own any shares in it. It's a private. Well, it's a publicly mm-hmm. traded business Correct. held by the shareholders. It's got no Correct. no more to do with Australia than mm-hmm. I don't know. Big big another random company. It, it just it just. It's, a, it's, emo- it's emotional. It's all emotional. We, we feel like it's our airline, the same as we think. You know, well, you know what I love is people say, overseas, oh, I won't get started. I'll just say quickly. Overseas <laughs> property investors are doing terrible things to Australia because they're, they're promising they're buying their property. It's like, the, whether, whether it's, and I, I have no mean no respect to Gina in this case, but just because she's the world, the Australia's richest person. If Gina owned them or a New Zealander or a Kiwi, oh, it's a Kiwi, New Zealander or a Pom or a Yank or a Vietnamese or a Indian, it would actually make no difference. The, the whole idea of somehow, I don't mind getting screwed by Australia, Australian billionaires, but I don't want to get screwed by, you know, a, a mum and dad investor out of, out of New Zealand. Just just make the, the whole foreign investment. It's, it's, it's pure emotion. And it's kind of on one level understandable because we're evolutionary creatures and we fear the other. And it's easy to make the, that person the bad guy, the one of us. So I get all that. And that's, you know, that's a not even, it's, it's probably not reasonable, but it's not unexpected. It's, you know, it's, nat- it's almost natural, which is fine. But when you start to look at it, it's our carrier. It's like, well, no. And Virgin's, you know, it, 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 it could be it could be Qatar Airways, it could be United Airlines, it could be Delta. You know, pick pick your airline. There's no reason why it needs to be Qantas or why it's we're any better because it's Qantas. And just we just think we like to think we do. And like most decisions, we we emotional emotionally decide at first and try and rationalise it afterwards. Yeah. Um. I I love Qantas. It, it makes me feel good. I, I I you know it's it's stupid. I, I like flying Qantas because it just it's it feels like our airline, but it's not. I know it's not. Mm. That but that's you've got to be able to recognise and realise that's exactly what's happening. And if it went away, would I kind of feel sad? Well, kind of, yeah, because the the airline that was started is the Queensland and Northern Territory Aerial Service decades ago. It's a great story, born in you know was Longreach or Charleville in Queensland. Mm. I, you know, I, I love that. Like I, I would love to think we have a great, successful Australian airline. But not at the expense of investors, not at the expense of free government money or, you know, the fact the rest of us are paying more for air, airfares. No, Qantas isn't giving us a dividend for being nice to them. No. They're giving it to the shareholders who own it. And that could be any company. It doesn't need to be Qantas necessarily. That, that's assuming they are paying dividends, which generally they don't. So. <laughs> True that. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Woolies, ten, uh, on the same date, uh, was $4.96. So it's gone up in value 
six and a half times, uh, seven and a half times, sorry, while well, Qantas well, is roughly And flat, I don't so. think it's missed a year in paying dividends. That's the other one. Qantas has gone for like not. long years, yeah. eight, 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 nine yeah. years at a time and not paying dividends and then, you know, a pittance of a dividend. So they, they've Woolies has paid a dividend. I mean, we're putting, we're putting the boot into Woolies before again. Like there, there are there are reasons oh, yeah. as to why how it, it has achieved that. But there is a, there is a there is a economic engine at play here, which is which is generating lots of cash flows for its for its owners. But yeah, do you feel yeah. better? I feel better. I do feel better. I do feel better. I, I, <laughs> I, I yeah. I feel. I would feel even better if if I mean. Sometimes I feel as though it feels very late. French aristocrat sort of era where you know we need to break out the guillotines. I think it's so we're getting we're getting to that point in society where I don't think it's that we point. need to. I feel as though it's sort of like there's yep. At some point, the uh, the quote unquote elite are just gonna. I, 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 I must be at the country club at more often than not. You go, man, I can't believe we're still getting away with this. <laughs> like, more people need to get angry, is what I think. And uh, maybe guillotines is a step too far, but you know, I th- I, th- I think we can do without that. But we do we do absolutely. Need uh, honestly, responsible government go a long way. Yeah, and and, and that, that just, requires just a bit of rules. It requires a bit of anger, right? It, it yeah. requires a bit. It's it's hard to get angry if you don't know what's going on, you know. And it's just like these are, these are these are these are objective facts. It's out there. Look mm. it up. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Wake up. <laughs> now we're going to rebrand this to the conspiracy podcast, and, it's and not a conspiracy. Let's, let's go, Russell. Let's go all Russell Brand on people, and we can start. Oh, we can start podcasting on on Rumble. Oh, mate, I've got it all mapped out. This is it. We shan't be doing that. Uh, before Andrew continues, let's let's wrap this one up. I'm joking. By uh, the way, can can I'm we? Joking. Oh, so you you want to think he's joking, but we're not sure he's joking. Um, shall we? Shall we come back on Sunday and answer some listeners' questions instead? Yeah, let's do some stock market stuff. <laughs> let's, 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 we let's tried. Like, we tried. Logical and ranty. Yeah, for sure. Until then, for what? Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.